Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Moment. I'm here with Frank Platt of the InfoSec Alliance. Frank, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me, Greg. So I'd like to start out to hear a little bit about your, I know you have an extensive background in information security and risk management, and I've known you for several years, but I'd like to hear about how you started out and what you're doing in InfoSec right now. Well, sure. Um, I started out in the uh, telecom industry and uh, moved over from that into, and we've had the fortune with a couple other guys to start an IT uh, consulting group back when it wasn't even called IT. We didn't know what to call it. We didn't know if it was network consulting, software design, whatever it was. Uh, and in 2000, when we sold that, I found myself looking for something to do because uh, I wasn't quite ready to retire. And one of the clients that we had worked with through Y2K, uh, some people may remember that, some people don't. Some people yeah. thought it was a farce and some people were. Anyway, <laughs> um, it was an electrical utility company, uh, a TVA distributor. And I had worked for them for probably six years. I had, the company had, mm-hmm. uh, with Y2K conversions. And I get a call from the executive VP and she asked me to come meet with her. And I walk in and we get to do our nice fees. And she get, I'm like, Marie, what do you want to see me about? And she points to her, her table, working table, and there's three uh, uh, inch and a half free ring binders. And she goes, what are those? And I picked it up and opened it up. It said, Tennessee Valley Information System Security Practices. And I said, well, Marie, these are Tennessee Valley Information System Security Practices. She goes, Frank, don't be flippant with me. <laughs> she goes, I can read. I'm like, well, Marie, I, I don't, what do you want me to say? I don't know what they are. And she goes, well, you know, you have been around here for so long, and, and me and the board and the leadership trust you. Go figure out what that is. And um, I said, well, okay, that must be the next phase of my life is to go figure out what information security is all about. Um, since that point in time, I guess one of the first things I learned is that there's a wealth that the, the security community and cybersecurity community is a very close knit group of people. I mean, mm-hmm. we all know each other very well through the various associations such as ISACA and ISSA and Infoguard and, and all of those. Well, that was my first uh, Rolodex was the uh, ISSA. The ISSA had started a chapter in Nashville. I think I may have been like the 29th person. I don't know. Up to about 600 today, uh, but I found that these guys were all information security uh, experts, uh, knew far beyond what I did. But I began tapping into their uh, their knowledge base and, and learning from them, kind of a kind of a uh, ecosystem that started with grassroots. And I began learning what, that security. While I knew the uh, I knew the technology side of it, but what I knew was the uh, availability. So I had one third of the security down of that, that triad. The triad, right? Yes. Triad. Security, availability, and and, and integrity. Confidentiality, confidentiality. Integrity. Confidentiality. I'm, yeah. you know, it's like you say it so many times. It's like it, it, it should roll yeah. off the tongue, but it doesn't. But anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, that, that, uh, so I knew the, I knew the availability. I've been mm-hmm. doing that. I've been doing that most of my career. So all I really had to apply to that was the confidentiality and integrity to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Considering that I am not a uh, heavily technical guy, in fact, if any of my family members call me for, uh, for uh, tech support, my standard answer is, uh, did you reboot it? I don't care what the device is, right? 
you know, give the phone or a computer. And if the answer is yes, we've tried that, then my next response is, well, here's the 800 number to the Geek Squad. Give them a call. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to joke that my VCR, I couldn't get it to stop blinking 12. 12 o'clock and 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 the two in, embedded things there was like first of all i don't know how to program my vcr and second of all i still am using a vcr now uh, in, in in all transparency i haven't used a vcr probably in about five or six years now but you know even five years ago it was still <laughs> amazing that somebody was using it i know well i still have a vcr but i'm not sure where it is anymore right <laughs> it's probably blinking 12 somewhere right, <laughs> That, that led me into well, if, if I'm going to um, if I'm going to be in the security field, and security field is um, uh, I guess it probably can be considered three various classifications. There's a an architectural track, there's a management track, and then there's the engineering track, which is more technical than the other two. Um, having said that, I'm sorry. Greg, having said that, um, I chose the management and architectural side versus the engineering side. I figured that there's a, a lot of smart people um, that are doing a lot of good things already that, that on the availability component. Uh, and what I've learned over the years is that that still holds true today. Uh, mm -hmm. there, there's, in my opinion, there should be no reason that any cyber guy, cybersecurity guy should actually be turning a, a keyboard or anything of that nature, other than maybe the monitoring that has to happen. So that brought me into that world. Uh, since that point in time, I've been fortunate to get drug in from a management perspective. And I think my, my management skills, my, my undergrads in Memphis, I went to uh, Knoxville UT for an MBA and, and I've gone through a bunch of management training in the past, public speaking. Um, I think I had to do that because um, uh, I had a speaking engagement and afterwards a guy came up to me and he goes you just murdered the heck out of that and put me down into a speaking engagement or a public speaking role mm -hmm. um, but i think that being able to communicate uh, and translate between the technology and the business side of it uh, has been important to me most of my life and that's where most of my projects are to be able to understand what the business requirements are and then align those business requirements into a security practice that uh, that does it through a risk reduction. Everything mm -hmm. risk, and we talked about that a minute ago. So that led me into um, starting a company. Um, I, I ended up with some employees, and, and in 2008, I sold that company off to a, a group that was a data center uh, that wanted to surround themselves with security, and they they bought my company and my people and, and hired me on as their uh, first CISO, um, and. And of course, 2008 hit, and uh, and uh, they, they had no customers. They had a great data center, but most of the customers bailed on it. So I ended uh -huh. up, yeah, I ended up uh, disconnecting myself from that group. Very, very. I'm still friends with the, uh, with the founders of it, um, but it brought me into a, a realization that I don't need employees. That's uh, that's something that uh, I don't do a good job of. I'm not a, a good employer manager. And in fact, I remember when. With Cottonwood, when we had to hire an HR person, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> um, HR is risk reduction, and they're they're very very well needed in, in the larger organizations. So in the past ten years now, twelve years, most of my projects have been to go in and help companies um, understand what their risk exposure is, understand what their security posture is, 
and then begin helping them uh, build a roadmap um, into uh, improving that security posture and reducing those risks and then helping them implement those roadmaps. Uh, that, that's kind of what I do today. So, so um, assuming you work uh, with all different sized companies or mainly small and medium sized businesses? Or? I have worked for small and medium sized companies. I've worked for uh, larger enterprises and um, I do kind of have a passion to work for the smaller organizations because they are the ones that have the hardest time. So what would you, what would you say with, with all that extensive experience working with them and seeing how uh, risks and how to achieve risk reduction over the years has probably evolved, what would you say today is a, maybe the, the top risk that you see among your folks, your small businesses that you work with, small and mid-sized businesses? Well, I think, I think it's not just a security risk. I think among small businesses, it's a risk across the board, and that's lack of capital. Ah, okay. Um, uh, if, 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 and maybe not necessarily that capital, but the lack of understanding how to allocate that capital so that you are um, protecting your investments uh, way beyond uh, what you might ordinarily need if you're a solopreneur or an entrepreneur that started a, has a startup going on and, and uh, doesn't quite know how to go to that next level uh, that's needed. So, um, other than that is, is basically disciplines, hygiene. Um, I know that's a big word out there, but what is an organization actually trying to do and what is its, what is its core uh, value to the world and what am I doing to protect those core values for the world? I mean, I'm sure the business has business interruption insurance. There's probably key man insurance on the, on the uh, key, uh, key, key people that are in the organization out there. Um, they may have had a substantial a, a, a program that says uh, first right of refusal. How do I exit out of this? All those strategies, but I don't see anyone ever addressing uh, securing their assets in those strategies from a cyber standpoint. You know, it's interesting that you say that about um, the uh, that, and then to to combine that with your first statement about capital or or how to use it, because. Um, I know one thing that I've seen, and, and you may or may not have seen something similar, where you'll have the, the, your SMBs, they'll, they'll, they'll subscribe to these security services like SOC as a service, that sort of thing, or they'll have the monitoring service, or, or maybe they'll even do it in-house. They'll bring in um, a, 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 a nice tool that the salesperson has said does all these things, blocks all this stuff, and slices bread and all that stuff. And, and yet the, the effectiveness is diminished almost to the point of uselessness because they've spent all the resources on the tool or their subscription, but not actually on, on the, having the resources, the personnel to action on the items that are coming out of there. Do you see something like that? All the time. Um, almost, and that's not just limited to the small company. I've seen large uh, multinational organizations that will spend a huge sum of money on the tool, and but they won't necessarily spend uh, or don't understand that they need to spend an equal amount of money on the on the implementation. The, the, uh, how, how to actually set this up? They turn to rely on their internal resources to that. They say, "Hey, we got an IT team; they should be able to do it." But what they may not understand is that investment is maybe akin to a, 
a hospital deciding to put a new floor on the, on the new wing out there, they're not going to turn their internal staff to build that hospital. They're going to turn out to an architectural group. They're going to turn out to engineers. They're going to turn out to subject matter experts to be able to actually help that. And once it's built, then it gets turned back over to the, the normal. Mm. Uh, yeah. 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 And that's, that's a, a, an unfortunate um uh, aspect i think of sometimes the 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 desire for for um the seat suite and the board of directors to just want to make security issues go away but um, you know i want to i want to switch gears here for a moment and right before we started we were talking a little bit about cmmc and and that certification i'd love to hear a brief overview of your journey through that and, and what your what your thoughts are for the future of that well, let's let's start from how it uh, let's start from its genesis. Um, um, years ago, Congress passed an act called the FISMA FIBS, and mm-hmm. uh, if you were a DOD uh, uh, department or if you were a prime subcontractor, uh, you had to go through uh, FISMA FIBS certification, which is security certification. Uh, in fact, you had to have a CISSP to be able to certify that. They couldn't enforce that on the private organizations out there. So it was a voluntary certification. Um, I think the, the uh, DOD realized in the past couple of years that even though they had this self-certification, um, that somehow or the other, all of our secrets were being leaked out to our uh, to, to other companies. I won't say uh, other, other countries. I'm not going to call them adversarial. I'm just saying they're out there. And for example, uh, if you look at the Chinese version, I think J-22 um, aircraft they have out there, it's it's an exact replica of our F-35 Joint Strike Fighter. So those secrets were getting leaked out, and they were getting leaked out, not necessarily through an intrusion of, I'm going to go steal all the documents, uh, which they would, but how did they get in there? And the, the advanced persistence threats, they're just continually looking, and they could piece information together from all the different industrial base out there to be able to say, this is going to happen and this is how it is and this is how I target my attack. So in response to that, they realized that they had to be a better way for our, um, for our defense and industrial base. And anybody that's in, I mean, you know, if you're building a heads up display for whatever you're in that dub, um, there had to be a better way for the dub to show that they were doing what needed to be done in the basic hygiene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it became a certification model. And the CMMC is uh, an acronym for cybersecurity model, uh, maturity model certification, uh, which basically means you're doing something in your, in your environment out there. What is it and how mature are you in the practices? And is, is it an ad hoc environment where you react to something or has it been somewhat industrialized and into the everyday practice of the company. So the attempt is to, um, let's secure the defense industrial base. Uh, and if you're not CMMC certified, then you're not going to do business with DOD as, as they just left that go out there. And they, they created a whole new classification of data. They call it um, uh, confidential unclassified information which basically they don't want leaked out, but it doesn't have a classified or a secret level. So therefore it doesn't have the controls on that information that those other two levels might have. It's interesting that the ecosystem that they have developed 
um, is considerably different from what I've seen of any of the other compliance models or certification models, and that you have a registered practitioner team that can act as consultants to help an organization uh, uh, prepare for a assessor to come in, but the assessor cannot be the group that helps you do the consulting to pick it up, or can the consultant be the group that assesses you? So it's two distinct uh, companies that they've put into play. One of them is a registered practitioner or the registered practitioner organization. I'm an RP, that was where I chose with my practice, or you can be a, um, uh, a certified um, third-party assessor. They call it a C3APO. I have difficulty with that. Yeah, I always go with C3PO and R2D2. <laughs> but uh, they, they have... Um, C3APOs um, are basically organizations that uh, heretofore may have been auditors, although they don't like to call it auditing, uh, but there's a lot of them that are coming up. And they're, they're, the process they have to go through to get certified themselves is pretty significant. And I think even though this has been going on for about two years now, there's currently only eight or maybe nine CA3POs. So it's, it's a maturing model. Uh, in the meantime, they kind of modified their whole plan where um, uh, if, if you're going to handle any uh, classified uh, or confidential unclassified information, then you have to be at least at a level one. And a lot of companies are already there, but they've never right. had to attest to it. They've right. Always assumed that they were there. So that's what that's all about. And, and do they actually now... I might be a little bit behind on this, but is there an actual CMMC, I guess if you say CMMC certification, it's kind of like saying uh, ATM machine, but yeah. is, is there actually a certification out there now, or is that still in the not so distant future? Meaning can someone come in and audit and present you with just like a SOC 2 report or, or something like that? Yes. Um, there, there's, They've uh, they, they remodeled the CMMC two is what they're calling it today. Mm -hmm. uh, CMMC one had five levels of certification. Uh, they they decided they didn't need five, so they knocked it down to three. Um, levels two and level three are still going through the process of what is actually does that mean. Level one's pretty well uh, determined now, um, so you can actually get a CMMC level one uh, certification today. Okay. Okay. That, that doesn't necessarily, um, and, and the level one only is, uh, they only address what's called the federal contracting information language. So mm -hmm. they're going to, and this, by the way, this is mandated by, by 2026. Any company in that defense industrial base that wants to stay in that defense industrial base will have to be CMMC certified. So they're, they're given, it's not an immediate thing, uh, but as of uh, 2026, if you haven't been CMMC level one, then you won't even get the opportunity to review a contract. Ah, I see. So you actually have to have that certification for level one by 2026 in order to be able to bid. Sort of like, uh, I guess this all replaced a lot of the self-attestation for NIST 800-171 at some point in time. Uh, no, actually, actually, uh, 800-171 is, is the actual uh, document that they refer back to quite a bit on the level two which is when level two is now when I hit that uh, uh, CUI. That, that oh, okay. So le level one is, 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 is less than 171. Okay. Right. right. I think 171 has like 
15 controls in it that they address where, where level one only has uh, maybe six. Okay. Okay. Well, it's sometimes, you know, it, it's so fluid and, and it's, it's very hard to keep up. You got so many different standards out here, so many different um, frameworks, so many different audit types. I know I was just on a call where we're, we're with a client where we're, we're finishing up with a SOC 2 and then we're going straight into ISO 27001 as well as CSA star. And it's like, my goodness, you know, it, it gets to be very stressful. And sometimes you just got to step away from InfoSec. Obviously, you don't want this to be your entire life. And here comes the softball question, Frank, because I know what your answer is going to be. But in your spare time, what is a hobby that you really, really dig into that 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 you're really hungry about that uh, um, keeps you balanced in the InfoSec world? Well, Greg, I, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm barbecue. I'm so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I've I've known that for for some time. I have never I have never partaken in any of your of your creations. But but how did you how did you get involved with with barbecuing? I mean, uh, you know, uh, you don't usually see barbecue and infosec married together. I mean, uh, I mean, well, from from well, a preparation standpoint, from an eating standpoint, definitely you do. Well, it's, it's interesting you would say that because there's a lot of similarities in it. Um, in fact, if you were to go out and talk to uh, your, your uh, security people or even your IT people, that, that, that most of them have a barbecue grill and most of them like to barbecue. And I think the reason they do is because most people in this industry are process driven. They like to see a start and they like to see a finish. When you think about taking a shoulder, you got you to gotta prep it. You got to make sure your fire is just right, not too high, not too low. You got to keep it on there the right amount of time, not too, not too little, not too long. If, if, and if you put the appropriate amount of rubs and you pay attention to it, what you end up with is a, is a very good tasting um, uh, piece of meat. Well, if you pay attention to the same in the cybersecurity field or the IT field for that matter, if you do all your pre-planning, you prep everything, you get everything ready, you go implement, and then you enjoy, you have a very good, secure environment you walk through. So a lot of similarities to that. Um, but to answer your question, how I got into it, I have a good friend, a gentleman named Kerry Bringle. And I've known Kerry for probably about a part of 30 years now. And Kerry had had a uh, desire to open a barbecue restaurant in Nashville for a long, long time. But he had a barbecue team. And I got invited to join that team probably 20 years ago. And that team travels around a couple of different competitions. The primary one is in Memphis in May. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'll be there this May, uh, I mean, it's May 12th through the 14th. And it just became such a, a, a passion of meeting all the pit masters and all the chefs that, that come in and out of that. And I mean, we party like rock stars for the first couple of days in Memphis, but then everybody gets really, really serious on, on, uh, on Friday because the competition has to be turned in on a Saturday. Well, to further that, um, I guess I had a good friend that's a civil engineer in town, and we were in Memphis, and we were watching that big old night in Mississippi flow down to, and watching all the barges and all that traffic goes along with that. And he said, Frank, we need to do one of these festivals in Nashville. And, and to hear him tell it today, I, I was probably the only one out of 30 other people that he had talked to that didn't say, are you crazy? What are you even talking about? I basically said, well, that sounds fun, so let's go do it. So in 2008, we started the Music City Barbecue Festival. It, it's no longer something that gets done today, 
but we would bring in 120 to 150 teams in the downtown Nashville on First Avenue and put up music. And we partied with what we would consider 35,000 of our closest friends. Um, and as a result of that, I've been told a couple of times by people like uh, Kerry Bringle, Pele Porker is his barbecue uh, team down the Gulch. Um, it's this team as well, uh, Pat Martin with Martin's Barbecue and some of the other more famous pit masters around that, that really I was the, uh, the barbecue festival was kind of the genesis for the barbecue explosion in Nashville. I would venture to say, no, that's, I can't take that credit other than being probably stupid enough to go sink a bunch of money into a, a very fun event uh, that I wish the city had not run us out of the downtown area. But once we lost the downtown area, we kind of lost momentum on the uh, event out there. So that's also how I got to be known as the, maybe the, you know, that's where my barbecue comes into place, which I think you were alluding to earlier. Anyway. Oh, oh, absolutely. And, and so, so everybody, like so many people in Nashville now have a, have you to thank for, for, for their addiction to, to excellent barbecue. So, well, Frank, listen, I really appreciate you joining us today. I, I have to say, while you were talking about the barbecue, it's, it's, I, I have to think now about maybe we might have to start thinking about replacing risk heat maps with maybe risk shoulder maps where like, you know, high risk is like raw and like, um, I don't know what overdone would be. I mean, you know, that's, that would be a high risk too. I mean, right in the middle, a nice, nice medium rare, you know, that's, that's where I like, that's where I like stuff. But about the last time you had bad barbecue, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Never. <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Really enjoyed the conversation. Some really great information on CMMC and for everybody else, stay secure.